0: This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by
1: Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you
0: into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.Eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of
1: experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightlyego
0: podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world.
1: This episode is brought to you by Sheets and Giggles. Laura, you've probably heard me talk all the time about my love for Sheets and Giggles. I've been sleeping on their new sustainable eucalyptus sheets for the past eight months straight. I recommend them a thousand percent. Every week I wash them and put them back on the bed right away. They're my go-to sheets, all of my other sheets, even the ethical ones, are taking
0: a long break. After hearing you rave about them for so long, Lisa, I finally got a chance to try their new eucalyptus comforter. So I'm a weirdo. I really like having a comforter on my bed all the time, even when we have the heat blasting. I haven't woken up once hot while I was using this one from Sheets and Giggles. It's a great ethical and sustainable alternative to the down comforter we used to use that's now sitting on our guest bed. Another thing I love about Sheets and Giggles is that they don't use plastic packaging and the materials don't use pesticides, so they're kind to our animal and insect friends. They also plant a tree for each sheet set that is sold, and they're passionate about giving back.
1: They give 10% off to customers who donate their old sheets to homeless shelters, and they have
0: donated over $40,000 to Colorado COVID relief. Good Together listeners get 15% off by using the code BRIGHTLYECO at SheetsGiggles.com. Dot com. Plant-based
1: diets seem to be getting more popular by the day, with even the biggest meat-eaters swapping steaks for salads. That shift isn't just happening for health reasons, but also because eating less animal products is one of the best ways to slow the effects of climate change. Someone who knows it all too well is Sherry Abnery, the COO and co-founder of Thistle, a company that delivers ready-to-eat, plan-forward meals straight to your door. In today's episode, we talk about the benefits of being a flexitarian, the difference between a vegetarian and vegan diets, delicious meatless recipes, and more hello hello everyone welcome to the new episode of good together and today we are talking about one of my favorite topics if you guys remember uh one of my goals for last year and this year one of my big sustainability goals is to eat less meat right uh we have learned hopefully uh you've been following us our discussions our social conversations we have learned how much impact Negative impact um, meat, especially red meat, has on the environment, and um, yeah, this is kind of my personal goal is to cut my meat consumptions. And you also probably have heard us talk about. Thistle, uh, before, right, on our podcast. And Thistle is, uh, is a plant-forward meal delivery service. Right now, it's mostly on the West Coast. And today, I'm talking with Thistle's co-founder, Shiri Avnery. And Shiri has a very interesting background. Uh, we will be talking all about meatless uh, meatless meal, eating less meat, and flexitarian diets, right? At Brightly, we're all about being flexible, being realistic in terms of how we're approaching our sustainable Uh, living and lifestyles. And that's why I'm really excited to talk to Shiri about that. Shiri also, besides being a co-founder and COO of TESOL, she also has a PhD in environmental science and policy. So I'm very curious about that. So why don't I stop talking? And Shiri, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Tell us a bit about yourself and how and why you started TESOL.
2: Great, yes, happy to, and and thank you so much, Lisa. I'm so so grateful to to be here. Um, so as you mentioned, my name is Shiri. I am the co-founder and CEO of Thistle. My other co-founder is actually my husband, Ash. We're a married team. Somehow still married. Wow, that's <laughs> yeah. so sort <of> rare. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, still married after working together for for over seven years now. But um, yeah, prior to Thistle, as you mentioned, I was actually in the academic world uh, researching various. Dimensions of environmental science and especially the intersection between climate change, air pollution, and food. Um, I've actually been really passionate about Earth and environmental science ever since I was exposed to it by an incredible teacher back in the eighth grade, and I followed that passion all the way through college and um, a PhD, and then some years beyond. Um, but I eventually decided I-, I wanted to do a little bit more than than be in the academic world where you know, I felt like the pace of change just it felt a little bit slow. And um, Ash and I would talk a lot about how two of the greatest challenges of our generation, our growing health crisis and and the climate and environmental emergency really pointed to a common solution around eating more plants and, and eating less meat. Um, and yet, despite the, our passion for it, despite our knowledge about it, we found it really hard to to eat that way consistently, just like many others. Uh, because the obstacles are are really they're they're hard, right? It, you don't have time to figure out how to eat this way. It's it's difficult to find time to cook. You don't know how to make it taste good. It's expensive. All those reasons around taste and and access and and convenience and and, and even affordability. So um, that's really the challenge that that we set out to solve with this all, is how can we make it really easy, but also really delightful to follow a healthy, plant based and and planet friendly diet. Um, and, and so that's what we do. We do it by de- delivering delicious, ready-to-eat, um, healthy plant-forward meals to your doorstep, everything from breakfast, lunch, dinner, healthy snacks, and juices. And, and we hope that by, by doing this and providing really delicious food at that intersection of convenience and health and sustainability, we, we can make following a, a plant-based diet or a plant-forward diet really easy to do and something to enjoy as well.
0: Yeah, I
1: can't agree more with you. I think our listeners, again, have already heard me talk about this all and kind of why um, I decided to try it myself. Both Laura and I, of course, have tried it. And that's exactly as you said, right? Like myself, especially over the past year, right? We're all uh, living during the pandemic. We're all cooking a lot. I have been quite successful in uh, in terms of cooking at least more vegetarian meals. But vegan, it's something I haven't mastered. I mean, obviously, besides the typical like avocado toast right right, like a very obvious easy vegan or just like salads for example right um i have it has been a challenge for me uh to create delicious as you mentioned delicious and flavorful i eat a ton of spicy food our listeners probably heard me talk about that so like i'm really looking for very flavorful dishes and yeah it's been such an easy um kind of switch for me uh, like just getting uh, again you can get thistle meals once uh per week i think three times per week or even more often but it's just like such an easy addition and then it also inspires me to try these meals right it's like right. oh wow i can actually eat this amazing delightful um uh, you know vegan ball or a noodle dish and stuff like that well right. so let's talk about and you know uh thistle you guys say plan forward and that's because yeah. you have both vegan vegetarian and uh protein based meals correct so you you do offer uh meat dishes to subscribers who are
2: members that's correct
1: yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. and that's it's an interesting i was just talking about that to my friend and you know she she's not necessarily into super into sustainability and i was talking to her about thistle. she's like oh okay well if they have meat yeah it's good for me because like you know there are people who can't imagine like not eating meat in a meal that's right um yeah. So, anyways, so let's talk about this flexitarian diet that I mentioned at the beginning. Um, th- folks, obviously, around the world, especially in the US, are continuing to prioritize their health and do their part to slow the effects of climate change, which is great news. That's so, right. but what is behind the rise in popularity of these diets? Why they're popular? Should they be popular? Uh, let's talk a bit about that.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, it, it's, a, it's a really great question, and, and you're right. It is. It is. Getting more and more popular. I think I saw a recent study that showed that uh, nine in ten Americans are looking to eat more plants, and and over half are looking to reduce their meat consu- consumption. That's and awesome, are, it's really great, and are open to trying some of these plant-based meat alternatives, um, which is awesome. And and you know, just for some context, we've seen this in our own customer base over the last five years, especially. So right now, around seventy percent of our customers are on fully plant-based plans. And only around 30% or even a little less are, are choosing a sustainable meat add-on option, like you mentioned. But five years ago, it was the almost the exact opposite, which I find really fascinating to see how that's shifted over time with the rise of um, the plant-based and the flexitarian movement. And I think even more telling is the fact that even though right now we have about 70% of our customers are on these essentially vegan plans, only 10 to 20% self-identify as vegan or vegetarian. So they are really part of this flexitarian movement as well. And, and I guess I think a a number of things are driving this. It's, um, uh, it's like you mentioned, people's expectations around food are are changing. It's not just enough to be tasty or convenient. It has to be healthy and clean and, and not overly processed. Especially these days, we see this growing awareness of the idea of food as medicine, right. And they need to invest in proper nutrition. We're getting more and more aware, aware that we're eating like Way too much meat, especially red and processed meat. I think we eat about ten times more than we should as the average American. Um, there's growing awareness around wow, the destructive. ten times. Yeah. yeah, I know. Isn't that insane? Um, yeah, and there's there's growing awareness around the the horrible impact of of animal agriculture on our ecosystem, right? And each year, I think the fact that these climate change impacts are becoming, you know, more and more acutely felt are are helping to contribute to this sense of urgency that we. We need to make changes now, today. And what I really like about, about this is it's one powerful change we can all choose to make, you know, every single day, three times a day or or more. And um and so, and for me, I think that the last thing is that um, we've seen the the kind of mainstreaming of plant-based through the success of of companies like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat, and and they've helped to go after the average consumer, not just those who are, you know, already bought into the plant-based movement and absolutely right and i think that their success can has helped show that you don't need to sacrifice taste it doesn't need to be all or nothing so overall i think it's really great like these incremental changes matter when it comes to reducing your footprint and you can derive a lot of the benefits from from plant-based without giving up meat completely so I'm, i'm i'm really a big fan of 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 the flexibility of the flexitarian movement
1: yeah, no, and it's exactly as you probably know, I approach it brightly, right? We're all about being imperfectly sustainable. Nobody's right. will ever be perfect, whether with your diet, we're purchasing behavior, fashion choices, all of that stuff. Right. Um, and yeah... And, as uh these companies that you've mentioned impossible food beyond meat you know they have to go uh after you know an average consumer just like me and you uh right Thistle and brightly because the scalable massive impact will be made uh you know by this imperfect consumers right not by uh vegans or vegetarians who are like eating plant-based meals 100 percent of the that's time that's right. Exactly. Agree more? yeah so let's talk about proven health benefits and eating less uh of of eating less meat uh if there are any i'm sure there are of course but you know we always want to be a little bit skeptical so <laughs> sure. just like i know you have a phd you probably uh you know done a lot of uh, researching on this and then you sure. started a company <laughs>
2: <laughs> no and, and nutrition science is, you know it's there. there's all kinds of studies and it feels like it you know one day you see one thing, the next day it's something else. So I, yeah, I I get that. It's really confusing. But as a whole, there actually is a lot of really great evidence that uh, people who eat a whole food plant-based diet, and I want to emphasize like whole food here. I'm not talking about like a junk food, vegan diet. I'm talking about, you know, minimally processed, slow metabolizing foods like fruits, vegetables, whole grains, you know, legumes, nuts and seeds. So people who eat a diet like this generally get a ton of great nutrition and a ton of great, you know, vitamins, minerals, protein, fiber with fewer calories. And that generally tends to mean that they have lower BMI, they weigh less, but, but way more importantly, they have lower risk of all kinds of chronic diseases, including many of the, the leading causes of death and disability in the US, right? Including like heart disease, hypertension, stroke, uh, diabetes, certain cancers, and, and even Alzheimer's. Um and, and I, I think what's even more telling is there's actually evidence that this kind of a whole food plant-based diet can be effective not only at at preventing and treating, but but also even reversing some of these diseases, um, which was really striking for me. And, and and it's really striking also to think about that, like a lot of us think we have no control over whether we we get sick with some of these chronic illnesses and it's just in our genes. But research really shows that genetics only accounts for for maybe 10 to 20 percent of that risk. And it's really lifestyle, you know, like poor diet, whether or not you exercise, whether or not you smoke that, that are the, the bigger drivers. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and unfortunately the American diet right now is like only about 10, 11% of, you know, plant-based whole foods. And and the rest of it is coming from processed foods or, or animal foods. So we're just so far from this.
1: Wow. I didn't realize it. And when you said 10, uh, that Americans eat 10 times more than they should of uh, of meat, that sounds about right as well. Um, and one thing, and I'm, I'm glad you're mentioning processed foods. And that, that was one of the things I wanted to address in our conversation too. Whenever we talk with our community about vegan products, vegan options, I do. I have tried Impossible Burger. I've tried uh, Beyond Meat and stuff like that, uh, which tastes great and they're fine. But um, correct me if I'm wrong. A lot of times I'm still skeptical about, for example, um, uh, egg substitutes, right? That whatever it's called, uh, I don't remember the brand name. I'm a bit skeptical in terms of like, okay, uh, wouldn't it be better for my health just to eat a regular egg in, instead of eating some kind of substitute, which I'm not quite sure what's right. exactly in it. So can right. you talk a bit more about those kind of products?
2: Yeah, I think that is the, the big criticism of, um these kind of you know first generation meat replacements is that they're not necessarily the cleanest of foods, and they're not necessarily the healthiest of foods right mm-hmm. and um and i and I think that's that's a pretty fair criticism. That's actually why uh, we don't currently use um beyond meat impossible foods and and things like that in um our own meals at thistle because we have pretty strict standards mm-hmm. about wanting to make sure that the foods we use are really clean label right so um I have nothing against those foods. I think they're delicious. I I enjoy them. You know, am I going to eat it every day? Probably not because it's not, I, I don't consider it a, a health food. However, for somebody who um, is looking to, to make a, um, a better choice for the environment, no question that, that those are, you know, better, better options, but there are some really great, I, I'd call them second generation meat imitation products that are mm-hmm. coming down the line that are um, that tend to be a little bit cleaner. They don't have like a long list of unrecognizable ingredients. And we are starting to incorporate some of those in our meals. Um, for example, we use this really great um, uh, substitute for for ground meat that's based out of just pure dehydrated um, pea protein. And it cooks mm-hmm. up just like, you know, a, a ground turkey or ground meat, and it's really versatile. So things like that uh, tend to be really great, and they're healthy as well.
1: Very, yeah, and I think it's always kind of a problem and a challenge whenever a consumer has to be doing a tons of research themselves, right, about all of this ingredient least things they don't understand. That's a big barrier for, uh, for me and other consumers probably like me who are thinking about eating less meat. I'm like, but uh, I'd prefer just to eat like a very healthy local piece of steak instead of, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, having to read through the uh, ingredients or like 20 ingredients that I right. n- don't recognize any of them. So talking about the research, uh, do you have any specific books or pre- research studies you could recommend to our listeners if they want to educate uh, themselves more on the topic, especially of the health benefits, you know, vegan versus vegetarian and things like that?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so on the health benefits piece of it, I got a lot out of a book called How Not to Die. It's by a uh, nutritionist and physician, Michael Greger, and he kind of walks Love through- the title. Love uh, the title. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but he, it's great. He walks through how nutrition um, contributes to the top causes of, of premature death and disease in the US, including things like heart disease, cancers, et cetera, and how food can really be medicine in preventing and, and treating them. Um, and I, I really like how he goes through the nutritional science in a, a digestible way. And he makes clear the importance of a whole food, you know, plant-based diet for, for not just long life, but, but disease-free life. Um, so that's a really good one on the health side. There's, you know, my bread and butter is on the environmental impact. So I've got a, I've got a bunch of mm-hmm. <laughs> suggestions on that front for you. Um, yes, so, please, please yeah, share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, th- there's this great article that came out in Science um, by Poor and Nemec in 2018, and it looked at the impact of various food products across numerous uh, metrics of sustainability. And um, so things like climate change and, and contribution to pollution and freshwater use and land use and all those things. And it also looked at 40,000 farms worldwide. And, and the reason it was so important is that it demonstrated how what you eat is so much more important than where or how it was produced or, or packaged. Um, so we tend to ask, we, we tend to spend a lot of our time, you know, asking, hey, was it locally sourced or was it in compostable packaging, et cetera, when these supply chain emissions generally tend to contribute less than 20% of the overall impact of the product. Um, and, and really, it's all about the fact that meat is just many, 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 like, tens to hundreds of times worse across a number of different categories. So the questions we should really be asking from an environmental perspective is, you know, does this product that I'm eating, you know, contain meat or how much meat does it contain or how many animal products, right? So that's one, I think it's a really good paper. And then um, there's recently a paper came out in November, I think it was also in science, and it highlighted um, the importance of addressing food emissions in order to meet our goals under the Paris climate agreement. So it showed that even if you reduce or actually eliminate fossil fuel emissions completely, emissions from the global food system alone would make it impossible to limit warming to that aggressive 1.5 degrees Celsius warming target, and even very difficult to realize the two degree target. Isn't that, yeah, Like I thought that was pretty um, yeah, remarkable. kind of and disheartening, but yeah, mm-hmm. I know. It, it it just shows that we have to address um, major changes are required, right, in our food system. We have to address this if we have any chance of of meeting the goals of the Paris Agreement. Um, and the paper also looked at mitigation, different mitigation measures, right? And so it looked at things like let's increase food yields by fifty percent or cut waste by fifty percent. And it also looked at hey, what if what if we move towards a more plant rich diet. So not, again, it's more in the flexitarian realm. It's not fully vegan, but, but plant rich is what they called it. And that actually had the largest Mm -hmm. impact more than any of the other, um, mitigation measures, which, which is pretty, which is pretty great. And then one last paper I'll mention, um, because this is actually a really depressing one, but it's, it's just, it's just crazy. (laughs) So, um, the world wildlife funds living planet report. So, um, this one came out a few months ago as well, and it it kind of looked at the our, our overall uh, wildlife species health, and it's pretty insane. It documented a, a nearly seventy percent population decline in wildlife species globally in the last fifty years, which is just yes. like a, a biological blink yeah. of an eye, or, or sorry, a geological blink of an eye, right? And it um, in some regions, yes. that number is wow. like closer to ninety-five percent. Right. Yeah, and it, I, I just, um, you know, I'm so taken aback by it and I think it's important to remember some of these other environmental impacts, you know, beyond climate change that our agricultural system and, and meat specifically has on the planet, like this overuse of resources and pollution and habitat destruction that ends up um, leading to species population loss of the scale.
1: This episode is brought to you by Sheets and Giggles, a company with a punny name but a seriously sustainable mission to make better betting for everyone. We started partnering with Sheets and Giggles earlier this year, and the positive reviews from our community keep coming in.
0: I've been on a hunt for sustainable betting for a long time now until Brightly actually recommended Sheets and Giggles. I would highly recommend. The material is great. Uh, I personally tend to get hot at night and my boyfriend tends to get cold. So it definitely serves as a happy medium. Highly recommend. I also get hot at night and I found that after sleeping with Sheets and Giggles moisture-wicking sheets over the past few months, I can't remember the last time I woke up overheated. I love my Sheets and Giggles sheets. They're my absolute favorite. Not only because they're super duper soft, but they are sustainably and ethically made out of eucalyptus.
1: Yep, I love that our scout Ashley called out how soft the sheets and giggle sheets are. Plus, the eucalyptus that is in their 400 thread count sheets is grown without incesticides or pesticides. They also just launch a bunch of new colors, and I can't choose between navy blue and red. Help me!
2: Sheets and Giggles bedding is super lightweight and soft, and they really nail it on zero-waste packaging.
0: We recommend Sheets and Giggles for the softest, most sustainable sleep out there. Good Together listeners get 15% off at checkout by using the code BRIGHTLYECO at SheetsGiggles.com. Oh
1: my God, Laura, I just had my favorite vegan lunch ever. It was a green Thai
0: curry. That sounds amazing. But what's your secret? I feel like plant-based meals have always been a pipe dream for me. I've been trying to cut down on my meat consumption, but I really don't have time to think up and prepare filling, tasty vegan meals. Same here.
1: I've been participating in a vegan cooking challenge with the Bradley community, and I feel like I've totally failed. Seriously. (laughs) I feel like I've learned so many more meatless recipes this year, but when it comes to vegan cooking, I'm still very much intimidated. So
0: when Thistle reached out to us, it was the perfect timing. Thistle's plant-forward meals are seriously tasty and are delivered ready to go on your doorstep. Right now, they're just on the West Coast, but they're adding more locations. Anyway, I was really surprised at how filling and super creative the meals are. The spices and the sauces they include are really unique and tasty. I loved how fresh everything was as well, given
1: that it's mostly vegetable-based. Laura, I know both you and I love to cook, especially during the pandemic, but it's been a great addition to our weekly routines. It's a quick alternative
0: to takeout lunches between Zoom calls. Absolutely. Thistle is plant-based eating on autopilot. You don't even have to think about it, and bam, you're eating better for the planet. Good Together listeners can get $100 off with the code BRIGHTLY at thistle.co. That's T-H-I-S-T-L-E dot co.
1: Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. And of course, for listeners, don't worry. You guys don't have to take notes. We will be uh, sharing and linking, linking to all of these resources in the, our show notes on our website. So, uh, But yeah, thank you so much for sharing this. It yeah, is, uh, We're always trying to strike a ba- balance and bri- brightly with between you know sharing all of this research and knowledge, right? Uh, and also not making it too depressing. But <laughs> no, we I'm do need to know that. and learn the facts. <laughs> no, no, no. That's fine. We need to know that to be able to take action right right um so let's talk about we've talked a little bit about flexitarian approach right um so let's talk specifically a bit about vegetarian versus vegan diets uh to you what i mean obviously we know uh, specific definitions but what are the main differences be- beyond the obvious ones what are the main differences both for the health uh, of you and the planet
2: yeah sure okay so right we know that generally definitionally vegans avoid animal products altogether. Vegetarians might eat things like dairy and eggs um, where the animal was involved, but but not killed. So um, in mm-hmm. terms of, yeah, so in terms of the main differences for your health, I think, um, you know, it's kind of complicated. Again, you get back to this nutritional science, uh, which which shows one thing or another, depending on the latest trend or, or study, but but some studies have certainly found links between eating dairy and, and some kinds of cancers, some some then th- say that that doesn't exist. Some between have found links between eggs and, and heart disease, maybe, and some and some say that that doesn't exist. Um, th- there certainly have been studies that show that some of these types of animal products could be beneficial in providing essential nutrients in specific diets that lack, you know, nutrient diversity, and um, and and can therefore be a good source of that kind of nutrition. But there are a lot of studies that show that vegans actually outperform vegetarians in terms of having the most risk reduction um, in terms of risk of chronic disease and, and also in weight management and in, um, you know, longevity, long life. So I think the important thing to remember on the health side of this is that like, if you want to incorporate animal products into your diet, it, it should always be supplemental to, you know, unprocessed plant based foods, um, you know, part of the tenets of, of a flexitarian diet. And um, in terms of, of, of planetary impacts, I will say that dairy is actually a pretty high impact food category across numerous metrics. Yes. Right. Yeah. Including climate change and and resource use and pollution. Um, so, for example, cheese has about 25 times the impact of peas and five and a half times the impact of tofu. Um, eggs are a bit of a better choice. It's about 10 times the impact of peas and twice the impact of tofu. So still still much higher, uh, not nearly as higher as, as yeah. beef. But so I guess like in a, hi- a hierarchy of of things to get rid of, you know, beef and lamb are definitely first and foremost to go get rid of as much of that Absolutely. as possible. Right. And yeah. And then, and then dairy and, 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 um, and pig meat and then poultry and eggs seem to kind of have the lowest overall impact across that category. Um, but as a whole studies show that vegetarianism can cut your emissions by about half and veganism by, um, you know, 70 to even upwards of 85% from what I've seen in the recent literature
1: wow yeah i mean yeah that's obvious um yeah vegetarian we all keep sharing this uh data in the in our community and our socials you know um yeah red meat and lamb um are kind of uh, the most intensive in terms right. of the negative impact on the environment as uh, as you guys listeners probably know uh so you've mentioned cheese and cheese has actually interestingly have been the most difficult for me to cut <laughs> um to cut down on whenever i try to like create like a vegetarian pasta i'm like yeah. that's fine but then i'm like well i'm just gonna throw a little bit of like a cream or half and half oh, or sorry. some bunch of parmesan cheese And am like because like without it i'm like it's just a little bit bland so let's talk about the recipes right yeah. uh again i until i discovered thistle and i got your delicious meals um yeah, I, I don't think I've actually created myself like a nice uh vegan, 100 percent vegan. Vegetarian, yes, but not vegan meal. So maybe can you share a few, like maybe one, two, maximum three, of the go-to recipes for meat lovers, but that are vegan.
2: Um, sure, yes. Um, so in terms of in terms of recipes, I think if you're specifically talking about um for meat lovers who really want that taste and and texture and, and feeling of meat. Um, one of the things I love are um, jackfruit carnitas. Jackfruit's a great substitute for meat. Yes, me. yeah.
1: I, it was the first time yeah. I t- tried jackfruit. I, some of our scholars, ambassadors, they were talking about jackfruit, but I did not taste it until I got it in thistle, and it was amazing.
2: Yeah, isn't it? And it it's so versatile, and it it cooks up similar to to pulled pork. Has a similar texture, and it absorbs all of that you know, you you can braise it and, and have a com- in a combination of onions and garlic and, and cumin and chili and spices. And it just like soaks that all up. And it's really delicious. Like, I, I love it. So that's one that's one of my um, kind of go to favorites. And I mentioned um, earlier, the the pea protein crumbles that we use. I mean, I think these are really fantastic. Yes. They're so clean. And um, in terms of in- the ingredient list, it's just dehydrated peas. And they absorb all the delicious spices you cook them up in. So we make like a, a ground um, ground meat or, or like a flavorful chorizo. Even you can use it on things, everything from you know taco salad to tofu scrambles to paella. It really just helps to kind of pull everything together and and um and and like hit that you know craving of meat. So those are a couple for meat. And then you mentioned cheese. Um, I I actually am very similar to you. I also um. Miss cheese way more than meat, actually. So um, something that's really popular in in our house um, is actually a, a, a thistle recipe that I love, which is uh, to do a plant based take on like a pub cheese, which is made by um, soaking raw cashews, mm-hmm. and you blend it with whole grain mustard and bell peppers and you know spices like paprika and garlic and and a, and a bit of nutritional yeast, which is Really great to give it that cheesy quality also has b12 which is which is great for vegans um, and it results you, you blend it all together and it, you get a smooth uh, creamy kind of dipping cheese and it's delicious paired with you know crackers or veggies or or whatever you want.
1: Very cool. I love it. I love that you mentioned jackfruit. It's definitely my favorite. So tell me, um, is it pretty easy to find jackfruit in, in the stores? Um, I mean, Whole Foods, uh, I'm guessing it would have it or do do you need to go to like specialty markets?
2: I think most stores in the, at least where, where I live in, you know, in the Bay Area, I've been able to find it pretty easily yep. at, you know, at Whole Foods or, um, you know, any kind of health food kind of store. So I think it's pretty accessible.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Got it. Very cool. Um, and I love your cheese recipe idea too. Um, well, okay. So we've talked about the diets and the, you know, veganism versus vegetarianism. Uh, let's talk a bit more about thisel. Um, again, why me and Laura love thisel is because it makes it so much easier for us to eat vegan meals, right? Especially in the, you know, Yes, we are at home, we are cooking a lot, uh, but you don't always have time, or you, you're you not brave enough like me to try a new completely vegan <laughs> recipe. Uh, so we love thistle for that, and I know you guys are also uh, a very interesting aspect of thistle, um, as we've been sharing about um about it with our community is the packaging, right? Yeah. So right now your packaging is 100%. Uh, It's recyclable yeah. when cleaned, right? It's plastic, but it's recyclable.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, tell me more on uh, how you're uh, thinking about packaging at your company and what's the kind of the future of Thistle packaging.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, this is such a great question. Um, and it's our number one most urgent sustainability challenge. It's one that we've been really mm-hmm. trying to address for for quite some time because we we want and, and need to do better. We want to remove, you know, all kinds of plastic from, um, from, from our packaging. So um, yeah, I, I guess I'll give you kind of a, a bit of context. Like the reason that it's taking us longer yeah. to solve this challenge is that we wanna make sure we really get it right and move to a solution that's actually better for the environment rather than just something we can market to cons- mm-hmm. to customers, but isn't really backed up by the science. Exactly know? right, and yep. that, especially with my background, that's just something I wasn't willing to do. And the thing is, when you get into the weeds and you read the fine print on a lot of these um, plastic packaging alternatives, like most uh, many of the commercially available compostable packages on on the market today, um, especially the ones that worked for for our purposes, they their impacts are not necessarily better. And in some cases actually worse when you consider the full life cycle of the product, um, and how it will actually be disposed Mm of by users. Um, so they end up trading, you know, one environmental issue for another, like maybe marine environment pollution gets a little bit better, but climate change gets 10 times worse. So, um, it's really hard. So I can, I can go through a couple of the issues that that we've found with compostable packaging. Um, So one, like I mentioned, the life cycle, compostable materials can be more resource intensive to produce, which can lead to greater contributions Mm -hmm. to to global warming and and pollution and all of those things. Um, And this is also true, doubly true, when you factor in the fact that most of these materials aren't as good at preserving the food itself, which ends up leading to greater food waste. And we all know that food waste is a huge issue, right? And so you have greater- Absolutely. Right, and-
1: Yeah, and you guys are delivering fresh meals, and most of the times, right? If not 100%, they come with ice packs too. And I also was thinking like compostable packaging, what if it gets wet, right? That's That's exactly right.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. The structural integrity is a huge problem. You want to make sure that the food is actually, you know, the package is going to keep that food safe to eat for a customer, you know, multiple days after it's delivered, because you want to extend that shelf life in order to minimize food waste as much as possible. Right. And so those were a couple of the issues that we did find with with some of the compostable containers. Um, and then another thing is that they they're compostable only under very specific conditions today, which those conditions are in these really resource intensive industrial facilities. It's not like they're compostable in any environment or in your backyard compost heap. It's it, it, it's not the case. It requires mm. a ton of energy to actually compost. And, um, and worse is that 98% of Americans don't actually have access to industrial composting facilities. So what happens to those packages, to the, to the packaging then, they end up either in the recycling stream, where they're not actually recyclable, so that pollutes the recycling stream, um, or they end up in landfill. And when they're in landfill or, or in the marine environment, if they escape, they tend to have a lot of the same issues as plastics, especially those bioplastic um, packages um and then finally some containers uh, i'm sure you all have you know you you've heard of these forever uh pfas pfas chemicals that were found to be on some of those molded fiber containers and they that, that they were in the liner of the container that actually made it leak proof and spill proof so that was a really that that would be a tough sell for me to say um, hey, we're gonna use these containers that are known to contain these types of chemicals that have been linked to cancer and other you know health impacts. So I guess the point is that we know that that, that plastic is, is is not good. That is not at all what I'm saying. I, I'm only mm-hmm. suggesting that some of these materials are not necessarily a panacea either, and that it's a really complicated issue without necessarily a, a simple, answer that that involves trade-offs and you really need to dig into the details of the source materials, the the manufacturing process, end of life, et cetera. So that's why we that's what we've been doing. And actually um, last year mm-hmm. we decided to leapfrog this whole question and really go towards reusable meal containers um, because almost everyone agrees that if you can actually reuse um, those containers, you know, multiple times, that, that is a, an environmental win. And we already do have some kind of a reuse program in place. We reuse all of our thermal cooler bags and ice packs, but unfortunately the pandemic really put a huge wrench in this plan, right? Nobody's, everybody stopped their reuse program. We suspended ours for, for much of the year. Um, and we just couldn't layer on the, the additional complexity, given, given everything going on with the pandemic. So, um, so unfortunately, that was a setback, but that doesn't mean we're giving up. We we absolutely are not. We actually mm-hmm. hope to launch a reusable meal container pilot with a few hundred customers um, in a few months. And we're also really excited about some of the packaging innovation in, in compostable materials that we're seeing. So I mentioned, you know, second generation, you know, meat uh, imitation products. Well, there's some really great second generation compostable packaging that that are. Um, that solves some of the issues of current compostables. So they, they degrade in your backyard. They don't require tons of energy. They don't require special facilities. They don't leave behind chemicals and they're also um, recyclable in case compost is not available. So um, whether our solution is reusable or next generation compostable or a mix of both, um, we just really wanna make sure we do it right, that it improves our impact, mm-hmm. it isn't greenwashing. So um, I hope this will. I hope we can crack this this uh, challenge, and yeah. can really be a pioneer in the industry on it.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I love you know one of the reasons we started this podcast with Laura it it just gives this uh, format. To conversations like this right it's easy to post something on social media with an image or even a short video right we right. can only handle a video for 15 seconds these days but like yes these issues are complex they are not perfect and i'm, okay. I'm so glad you have mentioned that yeah that's very interesting point i was actually talking just yesterday to someone about packaging we're also thinking about packaging at brightly too uh for the future you know he, i think he mentioned that um you know, none of the packaging, uh, we're thinking like just talking about boxes, right? None of the packaging is, you know, hundred percent recycled. Usually it's like what? 95% recycled. And even that might not even actually be straightforward better or something like that. And yeah, it's not straightforward. And I I admire you guys that you are just like us, you're embracing being imperfectly sustainable, <laughs> right? And instead of yeah, just kind of slapping this uh sort of seemingly eco-friendly right. labels or solutions, you're really, really doing your research because, of course, uh you know you are uh, you have a PhD. That's what you do. You research everything.
2: That's awesome. <laughs> a little too much sometimes. <laughs> no. Yes,
1: probably. I, I appreciate. That's that. awesome. <laughs>
2: Well, uh,
1: we're coming to the end of our uh, discussion, uh, but I would love to ask you a couple of questions that we always ask uh, our guests in the very end, sure. which is, um, I know you shared a lot of awesome actionable tips with our, our listeners already, but maybe besides, um, maybe continuing with the food uh, and cooking theme, uh, but in, in general, what are your, some of your favorite simple actionable tips on living sustainably and eth- ethically?
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, I guess I'd say my first tip, which is probably no surprise to to you or anyone listening, is just to eat as close to a, a plant based diet. Reduce your meat intake as much as possible. And look, like I, I, it's I know it's uncomfortable to think about. Uh, I know we don't want to think about it, but almost 80 billion animals are slaughtered each year for meat. They endure most of them endure horrendous living conditions while they're alive. It, it's kind of funny how there's this cognitive dissonance where. You know, people care so much for like polar bears and sea turtles and their pets. But for some reason, Mm -hmm. we don't offer these billions of highly intelligent creatures, um, you know, the same level of compassion. So I I think it's hugely important. And also meat industry workers are treated pretty terribly. You know, the processing plants have been hotspots for covid outbreaks. You have workers suffering low wages, lack of protections, um, and they tend to come disproportionately from from disadvantaged communities. Immigrant communities, communities of color. So, um, and then on the environmental side, of course, as we all know, you know, meat just has environmental, uh, massive environmental impacts across the board. And, um, you know, a lot of scientists say eating less meat is the single most impactful thing you can do for the environment overall, from climate change to resource use to biodiversity and, and beyond. So that's that's that. Not surprising, <laughs> I'm sure. But my my second tip, mm-hmm. I guess, would be about just... You know, generally taking stock of consumption across the board and and you know um, trying to reduce consumption, Um, we I we tend to focus a lot of conversations I think on you know zero waste and and recycling and composting and don't get me wrong those things are so hugely important but I think that sometimes we don't spend enough time talking about the 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 more impactful but but harder things that we should be doing like maybe not buying so many things in in the first place right so there's just these massive upstream impacts mm-hmm. of of our society right and resource extraction you have manufacturing you have transport retail you have all these things and these tend to dominate the environmental impacts of of most products so you know you can think like even if our our waste problem magically disappeared we'd still be burdening the environment with those upstream impacts which which can be best you know solved by just not producing the item in the first place so for me I always, you know, try. Exactly. Yeah. And I so I just always try to think twice about whether I need that, that, you know, new pair of sneakers or the latest iPhone or whatever it is. And I just try to, you know, buy less, buy used repair items whenever possible. Um, yeah. And just and try to make sure that the changes I'm making are, are yeah. really impactful.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great reminder. We all, we we have been talking about this on the podcast a lot. You know, the most sustainable thing you can do is just use what you have. That's, that's right. 100%. That's basically, it. Um yeah. So, um my last question uh to leave us on a positive note, uh what excites you the most about the ethical and sustainable movement right now?
2: Yeah, that's another good question. And um I think it's it's similar to what you mentioned um earlier in the podcast, and, and you've been talking on the podcast, it's that it's this embrace of progress over perfection um, in the movement, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's really becoming a lot more inclusive. It's it's everything that you've been talking about, it's like this recognition that it's a it's a journey for all of us, and, and we need to support each other and in making incremental changes and not judge each other for lack of perfection. And I really see that difference when it comes to food. Um, like I, I felt in the past, there might have been more of this feeling of um judgment around not being able to go fully vegan, for example, which, you know, I think has led to a could have led to a perverse outcome where people are just put off by the idea of veganism, right? And they ended up not taking steps in the right direction at all because they felt intimidated or they might be ridiculed. And um I think that's really changed now, as we've talked a lot about the rise in popularity of flexitarian diet, you know, this like plant based and plant forward labeling, not not a strict, you know, vegan food identity. There's like this acknowledgement that we all have these mosaic identities and that's okay. And, and food is emotional. has a special role in our lives. Um, and we need to respect personal needs and, and the need for balance. So I think generally anytime you can be more inclusive and, and bring more people into the circle, you know, trying to do the right thing. Um, that it's like you said earlier in the podcast that the impact will be larger overall. So that's what really excites me um, right now.
1: I love it. I love it. And yeah, I'm so glad uh, that's how you're seeing it uh, as well. Well, Shiri, thank you so much for the conversation. I'm going to go eat my thistle lunch. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, it was really great to talk to you. And thank you so much for uh, all the work that you're doing.
2: Of course. I hope you enjoy that lunch. (laughs) But thank you so much for having me. I will.
1: Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all
0: things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.